the topics that we are going to be covering is setting up your business now to sell later. That Keith Cunningham and um, golly, so many people, Joe John, Polish, Joe talked, Polish, John Ratliff talked about is how to set up your business to exit it at some point, how to set it up now so that you exit and you will exit. You will exit whether you sell it, you pass it on, you die, you are disabled and cannot do anything in your business anymore. At some point in time, you will exit your business. And how do you set it up so that if you do want to sell it, you can sell it. How do you set it up so that if you die, it can carry on without you? How do you set it up so that if you want a succession, a succession plan, you have a succession plan? And so what are the main things that you can do to make your, your business valuable? And so I'm going to just uh, go over some of the highlights of a, a course that I took with John Ratliff, uh, just to give you guys an idea uh, to ask yourself, are you doing these things? And you can jump in and ask questions or have discussion about these items. Uh, you don't feel like you have to stay silent and just listening. The best time to start thinking about exiting your business is now. And there's many different scenarios, like I just mentioned. Um, it may be, you know, what happens if you have to shut your business down like restaurants and end up going bankrupt? What, what's the plan? What, what if you transfer your business to a, someone in your family? What if a uh, private company Come, private equity comes along and, and says, hey, we want to buy your business. How, how are you going to handle that? So there are many similarities between all companies. There's no company that's different. There's no such thing as, oh, well, my company's different. Because the exit of your company, exiting from your company is, is, can, is the same. You have to set up your business the same because there's a few things that drive value. And... I'll tell you, one, two, three, four, five, six. There are seven key things that drive value in your business. The first one is recurring revenue. If you have to go out and hunt for, for, for food each day and you have to hunt and hunt and hunt and continue hunting for a new prospect every day, then that's not a valuable business. It's having recurring value reoccurring value is one of the key driving factors for how a potential buyer would look at your business. Recurring value. So whether that's a membership or whether it's um, you have a consumable item that people want to consume over and over and over again, uh, or it's uh, like, for example, Alex's, uh, insects will, I mean, they're just going to grow, they're going to multiply. So it has to be treated constantly to make sure that you, your space is insect free. So making sure that you have something that's recurrable, reoccurring revenue. The next one is that you yourself 
are not key to the day-to-day -day operations. So I'm going to say it another way, that you yourself don't have to be there. That other people run the day-to-day -day operations. Like, for example, Jerry and I are at home today. We're not at the shop and we won't be going to the shop. We have everybody else is running the key day-to-day -day operations. They know what to do. We've trained them on what to do. And what we do, what our jobs are, is to help with marketing and to inspect what we expect. And the more that we do that and we have parameters for what we expect, especially measurements, those measurements, spreadsheets, really help your employees to know what their job is, first of all. But secondly, it's so that they can compete against themselves in their job. So for example, uh, we have a spreadsheet on uh, the number of times that a customer is communicated with. Because one of the main reasons why people leave our shop or any shop to go to take their vehicle to another shop is lack of communication. And this is, this is the number one reason. If we screw up, they'll still come back. They'll, they'll still give us a second chance. But if we don't communicate, that's where they leave us. And so the main thing is to, that I'm looking at is every customer, are we in communication with every customer every day? And are we letting them know the progression of the repair of their vehicle? The worst thing for my service advisor is near the end of the day when the phone rings, if I answer the phone and the customer says, I dropped my car off at 7.30 this morning and I haven't heard from anyone, don't you know some heads are going to roll? <laughs> so it's inspecting what you expect making sure that you are not involved in the day-to-day -day operations of the business. The third one is that you have systems and processes that make your business predictable. That's the purpose of your systems and processes, to create consistent results, predictable results for every client. For every process of the of the job itself, whatever it may be, that the table gets cleaned the same way every time, that the guy makes sure his booties are on before he comes inside the house, to make sure that the phones are answered the same way every time, that the thank you letters are written the same way every time, that we that systems for basic courtesy scripts to make sure that all of the processes that is the key to having a predictable outcome of your product or service is all of the systems. The next one is predictable revenue. So this is different than recurring revenue. So recurring is that you can show, you show from the past that this is the number of people that have come in. This is like a, a past base. Recurring is past. Predictable is you know, for example, that if you send out this marketing piece, you're going to get this number of people. If you make this many phone calls, you're going to get this many people. That 
even if you don't send out marketing, there's going to be people that know who you are because they, they, you are top of mind aware, top of uh, their mind aware of your business and what you do. So it's predictable future income. It's the difference between present bank and future bank. Chris, do you know what I mean when I say, for, for, okay, good. Got it. Okay, the next one is visibility for the entrepreneur to see how their business is running. So this is, again, regarding inspecting what you expect, that you have the ability to see how your business is running. And it could be something as, as simple as that there are video cameras. Like, for example, I fired someone last Monday, not this past, not this Monday, but the previous Monday, because she would come in at, let's say, 7.41, but on her time clock, she wouldn't even clock in until 10.30 and say, oh, I forgot to clock in, but I was here at 7.30. Well, I could see on the camera and document the time that she actually came in. So it's something as simple as that. And then there's all of the key performance indicators. How much are they selling? How, what's the conversion ratio of your salespeople? Uh, the more data that you have, the more effective you as a business owner will be. We're moving from the, the age of, of information into the, the age of data. It's, this is, it's all about the data. Whoever has the most data is the winner. So it's that you can see how your business is running. You have the, the, the next one is the key performance indicators and statistics. It's the data. That's the, that's the next value. Because if a person is coming in to buy your business and they say, well, how do you know, you know, that your people are doing what they're supposed to do? Oh, well, here, let me show you the spreadsheets. We, we look through every repair, like in, in the auto repair business, I look through every single repair order. And once a month, I take a stack of repair orders and I look to see what's being done and what missed, what got missed. And when I first started doing this, only 5% of customers were being communicated with via the text messaging system. And because the, the guy, the main sales advisor, he didn't want to use the system. He's like, well, I'll just give them a call. But most of the incoming calls were that he didn't call them. And so we went from 5% of customers being communicated with via the texting system to 36%. And now we are, I think, at 86% of the customers being communicated with. And very rarely do we ever get a phone call from a customer saying, hey, I haven't heard what's going on with my car. Usually it's, I'm, I'm, I got a text message or I got a phone call and I'm returning your call regarding, you know, I know that my estimate's ready or I know that uh, they said that there was a problem. So I'm returning your call. That's, those are the calls that we're getting now. So when a potential buyer comes in and they say, oh, well, do you record your calls? Can I listen to some of these calls? You have that capacity. You have the ability to show a potential buyer your data because that data is what makes your business valuable. And the last one is that the system, systems that free the entrepreneur up to either not work as hard in their business or work on things that they really enjoy.
So what are the two main reasons I'm asking you guys, what are the two main reasons we have employees? One, the first reason is we have employees is for them to do the things you don't want to do. And, and the uh, second reason is to do the things you no longer can do. Yeah. I do not want to work on cars anymore. Like not even, not even my own car. Do I raise the hood on it? But also when you grow the business, you can't do 10 cars at once either. That's have- right. Yeah, I have to, I, I, you know, you hire people to do the things you no longer want to do, or you hire people to do the things you cannot do. And it, it, it boils down to, again, right, to get to a million dollars or $2 million or $5 million, you have to surround your pe- you have to surround yourself with people that are really good where you're weak. When people tell you, oh, I'm terrible with numbers. And you hear people say, yeah, well, you need to work on your numbers. Well, I say that's BS. Why would you spend time working on something that you're bad at? You need to spend the time working on the things that you're good at to become great at or spend the things that you're great at to become the best and then hire people. Like if you don't do numbers, hire somebody to do the numbers. If you don't do sales, hire a salesman. Whatever it is, if nothing else in my life allowed me to be successful, what allowed me to be successful in my business was realizing my strengths and my weaknesses and hiring the people that were strong where I was weak and let me shine where I shine. Because when you think, when you think of these seven items, what that provides for a buyer is predictability and it reduces their risk. The lower the risk of loss of future sales, particularly, and and a buyer knowing that they can run that business from day one because everything is documented and you have your data, that, that lowers their risk. Because they're looking at two things. How can they make a profit and how can they reduce their risk? So your mindset at this point is that you are an investor in your, in your business and you are getting that business ready to sell. And what needs to happen, like as if you are the coach for your business, you're the one that's coaching them to sell the business. How do you reduce the, the future buyer's risk and how do you increase the profits of the business so that it is reliable? So I want you to write down this question because this is the mindset that I want you to come from when you're thinking of exiting your business and getting your business ready to, to whatever the exit may be. The question is, why would someone else value the asset you are building? Why would someone else value the asset you are building? What is value valuable? This is a huge question, right? This, this is, this, 
this one question, if you, if you can focus on that, right? And again, we're, we're looking at how do you get your business ready to sell? Well, you've got to put yourself in the position of a buyer and you think, all right, what is it that I'm building here and why would someone buy it? <clears throat> how, do you, how do you maximize the value? What can you do to it? Another way you can look at this is if you were a buyer looking at your business, would you buy it? Would you buy your business? Like, all right, I am an owner of an auto repair shop. I was an owner of a car wash. I was more of an investor in the car wash because I did not even have a key to the front door. My building, right, multi-million dollar facility, I did not have a key to the building. I didn't have passwords. I didn't know how to ring up a sale. I didn't know anything about that business. I ran it from a different location. And you ran it based off the numbers from the reports every day. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's all about numbers, right? And when I sold it, I got multiple millions of dollars on the sale because they looked at it as an investment as well. Now, if I'm an investor, if you're an investor, put it an analogy is you invest money into a rent house. You don't live in the rent house. You run that rent house business from your office or your home or wherever you run your business, right? So now you can have two rent homes or three rental homes or four rental homes. And again, you are not running that business from inside each of those homes. You are an investor in the rental home business. Aaron is an operator. He is a solopreneur today. If he's not in his office, if he's not doing legal contracts, Aaron's income is drastically reduced. He has a new salesperson. Yesterday, he made two sales, his first sales. Good job, right? Bravo. And so he's making the transition of being going from a solopreneur into an investor. He I'm so made, proud of you. Absolutely, right? I mean, that's huge. <clears throat> the more he gets to run the business as an investor, the more valuable his law firm becomes if he wants to sell it. The next question, and, I, and I, people ask me all the time, what are your criteria for buying or selling businesses? Well, I've always asked myself, if the business is losing money, why would I buy it? And if the business is making money, why are you selling it? If it's making money and you run the business as an investor, 
your multiples must be large enough for you to liquidate or sell, get out of that position. They have to, they, man, you know what? If, if, if I'm making enough money, you got to pay me a lot of money to get me out of that investor position. Does that make sense? Because you're running the business as an investor. I bought Delta stock. I bought American Airlines stock. I bought Berkshire Hathaway stock. I don't have any input in the business. I'm an investor. The way I get out of that is I get a profit, right? The stock goes up. I make a profit. I sell. This is how I want you to start looking at your business. And it's very difficult to do when you are running the business, when you're operating the business, right? And, and you can't get there overnight. You really cannot. And just know that it, it's going to take some time. But this is the purpose of what we're working on. We're giving you the pathway to become the investor in your business so that you truly are in a position to be able to sell the business for a huge profit. And the more that you can be hands off of the business, the more the multiples are. And the more, the, the more you get for the business when you go to sell. Be hands off and also equally as important is predictability of your gross annual sales uh, and expenses and profits. Mm -hmm. So yeah. a lot of uh, people think, Oh, well, I have to go year after year after year and get, you know, more and more sales. And, you know, I have to grow 50% or more every year. Well, that's really nice. That's awesome. In some cases it's not sustainable, especially if you have a, a capacity for, you know, let's say a number of people that you can fit in your restaurant and you're at capacity. Well, there isn't going to be growth more and more valuable than the growth is the predictability and the predictability of the business to function and work without you. So that's, um, so I'm going to give you some growth work to do now. And here are, uh, there's a, a, few questions for you to be asking yourself. One is, what do you do in your business? First question is, what do you personally do in your business? And is it vital or is it not vital? The next question is, who could do what you do if you were gone for six months? If you were gone for six months, who could do what you do? And that's where your systems, your documented systems come in. Then you can look at what are the next steps to get your company to run without you? What are the next steps to get your company to run without you? And the last question is, how will your life change if you do this? How, are, how will your life change if you do this? Great questions. Yeah, your life will change when, 
when you have when you delegate and you start looking more from a strategic standpoint rather than a tactical operations in the business and you work on the business the strategy your life will change and the predictability of your business will definitely change just briefly i'm going to talk about the two different kinds of uh, sales uh, selling a business there's a financial sale and a strategic sale the financial sale is you take the capital in a company that has cash flow which will pay you back for the investment and produce a return so it's basically a company can be valued based on how much cash flow it produces that's a financial sale a strategic sale is you take the value of the cash flow and look at what else in the business has value. And I'm going to use an example of a, uh, a house. Let's just say it's a million dollar house. And there are several potential buyers and they know that the value of the house is a million dollars. But you know that up in the attic of the the house there is a Rembrandt painting and no one else knows that there is a Rembrandt painting in the house but you know that and so you're willing to offer let's just say a million and an additional you throw in an additional 50,000 or 60,000 and everyone else is like oh well you know what he can have it because that house is only worth a million so in your business, what Rembrandts are there that would be very valuable to a client, to a potential buyer rather, to a potential buyer? And one of them is your client list. Your client list is a huge value. One of the uh, values, the additional values in the auto shop that Jerry created was the size of the shop because it's so large, it can be used for so many different things. For example, coming up in, uh, in the near future with all of the calibration that has to be done on the, the forward looking systems in cars. Jerry, what is it called? ATIS, it's Automated Driver Assistance Systems. Yeah, the ATIS. Those, those calibrations take 10 hours and they require 30 feet in front of the car that's completely clear and 28 feet on each side of a vehicle that's completely clear. There can't be anything in that space to recalibrate the vehicles. And so many of the shops, I mean, you, you, you've seen them. They are just like they have the, the roll-up uh, bay doors and the they're, they're crammed in there. They have their lift and that's about it. They can only move around the, the one lift. And to have so much space, the insurance companies and the collision companies are gonna look at this space and say, wow, we could set up a whole ATIS center here, especially when insurance starts covering it. So that's an example of a Rembrandt in the closet. What are the Rembrandts in, in or in, a Rembrandt in the, in the attic? What are the Rembrandts in your business? And it could be your customer list, it could be your location, it could be your building, it could be just whatever 
think outside the box. What would a potential, what do I have that a potential buyer might want from this business? It could be your software, could be your intellectual property, could be your systems that you are, you have systems that they want. One of the things that I want to uh, add to all of this as, as a reminder, right? See, we are entrepreneurs. We are the ones that start these crazy businesses. When you grow your market share, your major competitors, for example, Alex, you have Terminax and you have Orkin and you have, you know, whoever, whoever else are the, the, the quote unquote big guys that harass you, uh, you know, harass your clients. It's easier for them to buy you and take over your customers than it is for them to come into your area and steal your customers. It's easier, faster, and cheaper for them to write you a check. So the more, the more successful that you become, and Chris, I don't know who major contractors are up in New England, right? But I, I guarantee you there are some large contractors up there that as you continue to grow your business and you really start hitting in their world, they're going to come in and write you a check. And the more that you have these systems set up and you, you hit all of these points that Laura is talking about right now, the multiples increase. I mean, it's just that simple. I, a friend of mine sold his repair shop. He sold the building and he sold the business to um, the local Ford dealership for, in his words, more money than I ever dreamt I would get for this business because he had a team and he had his systems. He had everything was all of the process. He didn't have to be there. And he walked away with millions, you know, and, and I think, you know, it, it's, I, some people say, Hey, listen, it's not always about the money. Well, you're right. It's not always about the money, but I'll guarantee you the people that say money doesn't buy happiness are broke because money buys a lot of happiness. <laughs> I don't care what anybody says on that story. Even if it's, Hey, you know what? My, I took my wife out to dinner that made her happy. That made me happy. You can't do that in, when, you're, when you don't have two nickels to rub together. So for me, I think the reason we're in business, the only reason you should subject yourself to the, the trauma of being a business owner is to make money. I have enough friends, right? I mean, I have enough friends. I don't need more friends. I'm, I'm, in, it, I'm in it to win it. I think that's everybody else that's on this call. So along the lines of mindset also, if you think of your company right now as it is today, would you buy it? And what due diligence would you do in your company to find out the answer of, to that question of would you buy it? There are a few other things that also will influence the valuation of your business. One is the size of the business. Um, specifically regarding the EBITDA, the earnings before interest, taxes, depreciation, and amortization. So it's the size of your business. The next one is the cleanliness of your business. Is your business clean? 
And I'm, I'm talking about the physical space. However, I'm also talking about your books. If you get audited, are your books clean? Do you have two sets of books? <laughs> yeah. No, it has to be clean. Oh it has my to God. be clean. It has to be above board. I was looking at purchasing a chiropractic business when I first graduated from chiropractic college. And, the, and I was looking at the guy's uh, sheets from uh, his uh, bookkeeper. And then he pulled out a second set of books and he says, oh, well, this is all the money we make in cash too. And that's why I'm asking this much money for the business. And I, I just said, thank you. Goodbye. <laughs> no, I'm not. Uh, no, no, that's not clean. If you're going to lie to the government about that much money and you're doing it that way, what else are you lying to me about regarding this business? So make sure that your books are, your books are clean. The next one is the quality of your financial statements and how you can do this is you can uh, have Jerry look at your financial statements to make sure that your cost of goods sold, that everything's in there properly. You can ask me to do that too. I'd be glad to do that. Um, but you can also have a third party, have a CPA come in and look at your books and, and tell you, okay, you know, you could do this or that and maybe help you with some tax strategies, tax planning strategies, that would also be helpful. And I want to uh, touch on that. I want to touch on that because, you know, sure. <clears throat> when years ago we had um, who, who, the person that was involved in this, they can, they can speak about it if they're interested. I, otherwise it will be remain nameless, but I asked them about their cost of goods sold and it, was vastly understated. And I said, well, what about this? And what about this? And what about this? And, and, and they were like, well, how come the bookkeeper didn't set it up that way? Well, the bookkeeper is going to set up your books to make it easy for them to do their job. They are not going to make it easy for you to do your job, unfortunately. And if you don't have things set up accurately, I will guarantee you, you're not making the income that you should be making. You must fully understand your cost of goods sold. You have to know your numbers. You have to know what it costs you to produce whatever widget you're producing. If you don't have a firm handle on, those, on that number, you are doing yourself and your company and all of your employees a huge disservice. So this individual got on the phone, had, had the bookkeeper fix it while they were in the group. And to my knowledge, never, never looked back. I want to just briefly mention one of the biggest pitfalls that business owners have regarding exiting their business. And that is, and you'll want to write this down, is your identity wrapped up in your business? Are you, are you the person that has your identity wrapped up in the business to the extent that you cannot leave the business? Because if that's the case, then you've devalued your business. This one was very, very difficult for me when I sold my practice because 
I was not just Laura. I was Dr. Laura. I was, I was the doctor. People came to see me and I did a huge disservice to myself, especially because I got a much, much lower amount of money than I could have if I had had other doctors in the, the practice doing equal numbers as I did. So you'll have to make sure that your identity isn't wrapped up in the business. The second reason is that when your business is sold, a lot of people who have their identity wrapped up in their business, they go into a deep depression and they're very susceptible to uh, just blowing the money. They're very susceptible to, uh, it, it's like a death. Like someone, if someone dies, um, Aaron, is it that people recommend that you don't do anything with the money for like at least a year or so? The same thing once you do sell your business. When I sold my business, I, uh, I basically sat in the back of the accounting office for uh, a year <laughs> yeah. and I really didn't really do much. I took marketing classes and I took a Spanish class and I, I just focused on, I should have in hindsight, focused on taking care of me and staying home, but I just couldn't stay home. I just, I, I still, it was so weird. I got up every day, I got dressed and I went, I didn't go to work, but I went to the auto shop because I just, I couldn't stay home. I should have stayed home for at least a week and just slept. <laughs> so, uh, but make sure that you, you are not your business, that your identity is not wrapped up in the business because that's one of that's the biggest pitfall that's the, the the biggest pitfall for any business owner is that the business is you and you are the business 